Hey, hey, it's Ed. Before the podcast starts and you hear me introduce myself again, I recorded this first thing in the morning and I forgot a bunch of stuff that I wanted to say, so I'm going to say it now. Uh, I feel like I started explaining something about Yoel Romero and then I stopped, so you're just going to have to live with that. Otherwise, uh, when discussing the virtues of freestyle for MMA, I didn't mention that upper body techniques like throws are more uh, common because of the, the point uh, potential basically in folk style. If you throw someone on their back, it's all about if you hold them on their back, if you get big points or not with freestyle, just the very fact that you got them feet to back is automatically four points. So that incentivizes those moves. So people are usually more skilled in those positions that really works for MMA very well, uh, because, you know, throws put you in more dominant positions. So if you're listening to the freestyle portion of this and you're saying, Hey, what about upper body techniques like throws? Ed, what are you talking about? I was tired and I forgot. Okay. Enjoy. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, it's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Uh, this podcast is about the sport of wrestling. It's about the sport of mixed martial arts. And it's about the intersection between the two. So wrestlers who do MMA, people who wrestle in MMA. And then uh, when there's less going on, I just talk about wrestling just uh, just for fun. But yeah, so we're, we're in a bit of a lull with events right now. Um, there was, really wasn't any wrestling to recap on the last card uh, for the UFC. And I uh, didn't really watch any other events. So today I would like to talk about just some some general concepts and a really popular topic uh, that I get asked about a lot is, you know, is folk style the best base for MMA? Tell me about folk style. What do you think about Greco? Um, people never ask about freestyle <laughs> and freestyle is my favorite, you know, part of wrestling to watch, which might be slightly controversial, but I think just by virtue of the best in the world competing in freestyle, that makes it pretty fun to watch. So, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about freestyle today. Um, I'm not going to talk about Greco, but I can talk about why folk style is a good base, what the drawbacks I think might be, and uh, what the benefits of freestyle might be. Uh, Let me start by saying that with regard to being a base for MMA, we have so much data on folk style. I mean, the UFC is a North American company. Uh, Collegiate wrestlers have been on UFC cards since the very beginning, uh, I wrote an article about that, actually, but the first wrestlers competing in MMA the first you know, few years uh, that got published on USA Wrestling's digital magazine. So uh, hit me up if you want to read that, because uh, the, the version with actual breakdowns and all of the stuff is just on a document. Uh, the version that got published is, uh, you know, four magazines. That's so not as uh, not as good, actually. So, yeah. yeah. It's always it's always been a thing, right? There's a culture of folk style in MMA, uh, and just the sheer number of folk style wrestlers competing now. I mean, junior college D1, D2, D3, NAIA, uh, and beyond. That's super common. And of course, you have guys that wrestled beyond college uh, in international styles, uh, like Dan Henderson with Greco, Chael with Greco, um, Daniel Cormier with freestyle. Um, then you have guys like Henry Cejudo who wrestled folk style in high school, but the goal was always freestyle uh, and they've always been freestyle focused. Same with Aaron Pico. Um, but at the end of the day, those guys have folk style training, you know, years and years of it. 
So I can't totally say that there, this is an example of exactly what freestyle is like in MMA. Plus, if you think about it, the number of freestyle wrestlers who have competed at a high level in MMA, it's very small. It's very small. If we're excluding people who wrestled in college or high school in America, um, it's, I mean, even some of the high level international guys that do MMA, like Boris Novotkov or Bexad Abdurrahmanov, both of them wrestled in college in America. So you have to throw them out as well because you can't really judge freestyle as a base if it's just one of one of many, you know, skills that they possess. So with regard to just freestyle, uh, Yoel Romero is the example that, that most people like to point to. Um, and Yoel is an interesting case where he definitely focused more on striking <laughs> with his skill development. He doesn't not have a ground game. I see people exaggerating that a bit. Of course he has a ground game and he's held down, you know, Rob Whitaker, he's held down Chakare. Um, you know, he hasn't been put on his back for long periods of time uh, outside of a couple, couple of moments. So he's good. He's fine. It's just, you know, he focuses skill set other elsewhere. And usually people are used to wrestlers from folk style, prioritizing that control on their ground game. And the reasons are obvious, right? Folk style prioritizes control. When you take someone down, you don't let them up usually right away unless you're working for a tech fall. That's the thing. It isn't like a dual meet or a tournament. Uh, if your team really needs the points, they're going to wrestle differently. And you're going to put up a higher pace. And if, if there's a mismatch of you and your opponent, um, you're going to try to get more takedowns, right? So that might be a little different. But typically just to win a match against someone good and you just want to win, uh, you're going to get the takedown and you're going to try to keep them down. Uh, you're going to, you know, put a ride on them, you're going to put boots in, you're going to try to flatten them out, whatever you want to do. And if you're, if you're really lucky or if, you know, there is a bit of a mismatch on the mat there, uh, you can try to work some turns or even pin. So that, that's folk style in a nutshell. And of course, the bottom man has to get up. They have to get up or they're going to get ridden out the entire period. So that, that definitely translates very well to MMA because in an MMA fight, if you take someone down, you don't want to waste your effort there. Keep them down, you know, do something about it because the, the takedown itself doesn't inherently score, or at least it shouldn't. So right away, there's the rules are similar. <laughs> so the goals are similar. So the skills are going to translate. And you see people putting on folk style rides in MMA. Uh, a recent example is uh, Alex Perez. He, he does a lot of folk style riding um, in ways that, you know, people have recognized folk style technique in like Habib's game or DC's game, uh, Ryan Bader. But I mean, <laughs> Alex Perez is doing a lot, of, a lot of interesting stuff too. So I recommend checking him out. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it very directly translates. So it makes sense that folk style is the best base, but there's a huge sample size to prove that, right? So when Yoel Romero takes somebody down, he, he's not, he doesn't have those years of having to hold someone down because in freestyle, it's more about a quick transition to, a, to an exposure. Um, it's called parterre, mat wrestling in, uh, in freestyle. And usually it's a, it's a lace or it's a gut. Or maybe if you're like uh, Yali Bonet Rodriguez, uh, you try to like bait them into coming onto a single on your leg and then uh, locking through their crotch and, and lifting them for an exposure. There's, there's a bunch of different lifts and exposures you can do, but you have a limited amount of time to do them. So you have to make those transitions very quickly. Uh, whereas in folk style, you, you know, you're, keep, you're breaking them down, you're, you're mat returning them, you're keeping them down, and then you're starting to work on it. It's very similar to jujitsu philosophically 
Whereas in freestyle, it's you have a short amount of time, and usually the bottom man is just going to starfish out and try not to get turned. So the mat skills don't inherently translate. So that's why you're not going to see you know, a freestyle guy come in and immediately have a really good ground game. Uh, you know, maybe they do just you know coincidentally. Maybe they have an aptitude for it, but the the base skill isn't what's translating. So those are the things that people point to. Um, but they'll say, you know, the freestyle guys are better on their feet. You know, they're better at taking people down. The folk style guys are better at keeping them down. And just given the skill level of wrestling and MMA outside of wrestlers, uh, you don't need to be the most high-level wrestler to take these guys down. So holding them down becomes more important, right? Uh, so here's my argument the other way. I'm not here to say that freestyle is a better base for MMA than folk style. I don't think it is. Uh, but I think that freestyle doesn't get enough credit. And part of that is because there just aren't enough guys. So I said, Yoel Romero uh, is one. Uh, Ali Isaev is in PFL. He, he was decently high level. He meddled at a lot of high level tournaments. Um, I, li- I listed them. I literally yesterday, I listed them to uh, try to figure this out. Uh, there's a lot of Japanese women that are involved. Uh, Miyu Yamamoto is a multiple-time world champion. Uh, Kanako Murata is a, a age-group level world medalist. Um, Hayoni Barcelos was Brazil's rep for about four years. Um, there really aren't that many, <laughs> actually, that, that wrestled at a high level. There are tons of people that did freestyle. Um, like, people talk about Hamza Chimaev. They say, oh, he's a Swedish national champion. Sweden's men's freestyle scene is not really a thing. I can't really consider that a significant achievement. Uh, Like Carlos Bemelo is like a five-time Czech national champion. Like, cool, man. But that's not, that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, So I'm looking at international results. Um, If I look you up on the database, do I find you? Uh, That that sort of thing. Barcelos, I do. Uh, He participated in numerous world tournaments and attempted to qualify for the Olympics a few times. So uh, I count him for sure. And uh, yeah, there's not many people that actually wrestled at a high level in freestyle. Of course, in Europe, I'm sure there's a million fighters who have dabbled, um, who have some sort of training in international styles. Like before I was talking about, you know, Mosar Evloyev, his cousin or brother or something like that. Musa Evloyev is a two-time Greco-Roman world champion. He's trained Greco. Ilya Toporia, he's trained Greco. But they're just guys who, you know, did it. At a lower level, maybe they, they had some age group achievements, but it's not the same, and there's just not as many people. So statistically, you're not going to be able to draw conclusions without more data, right? So don't start saying, oh, freestyle is like this or like this for MMA, because there are so few high-level freestyle practitioners in the sport. So I can't say with confidence what it's going to look like <laughs> if more freestyle wrestlers do come over but here are some of the things that I could expect uh, that could happen if more freestyle wrestlers came over. Here, here are some of the benefits, I think, of freestyle. Uh, part of the inherent rule set of freestyle that I think would be beneficial, uh, there's the outer boundary, and if you get pushed out, it's a point. So a big part of freestyle is controlling the center of the mat and making sure you don't get pushed out. That is a thing in folk style in America, However, it's not as big of a deal and people aren't very good at not getting pushed out. And the, in college, the rule set is so ambiguous where if, if it's like, if you're in control and you push them out, that's stalling on you. 
if you like let them push you out that's stalling on you and like it's so crazy it, it's a relatively new rule that they did uh to, to phrase it that way but it's wild so control of the center and like whether or not you do things on the boundary is so much different plus you know they have in college if you keep at least one part of your body in in bounds it's still at live action so like let's say you hit a headlock on, on the edge and you keep your toe in bounds and you pan them completely out of bounds that that's legit um you get to keep working as long as you're out of bounds whereas in freestyle as soon as there's a step out they let the sequence finish um but it's it's out of bounds uh and sometimes if you like start a move and you drive them out of bounds they'll let you finish the move and they'll call it a takedown but they're not super consistent with those uh continuation rules so controlling the center is really important and uh, I think that directly would translate, you know, conceptually to, to ring craft, right? Um, I've watched plenty of matches where people show, you know, oh, hi, Toasty, uh, show good lateral footwork and, you know, they create separation with hand fighting and posting on the biceps and circling and, uh, you know, pivoting even, cutting angles. Like, you'd be surprised. There's some really, really high-level uh, footwork in, in high-level freestyle, it's things that you don't see as often in college or folk style. Hey, girl, that's okay. Um, so I think that would be something really interesting to, to see translate, um, even like among Americans, this is still happening, but it's like a more rare skill set. So Zane Rutherford, who is a three-time NCAA champion for Penn state, he pushes people all over the mat. He has very heavy hands, very physical hand fighter. Um, he gets a lot done with that. Jordan Oliver has always been a tough matchup for him, uh, because of his ring craft, essentially. His, his ring generalship, whatever you want to call it, his footwork, right? Um, he makes it hard for you to pressure him. Plus, he's really good at countering pressure. Um, so if you just try to come straight at him, uh, he has an answer for it. And uh, he scored on Zane on the edge a bunch of times because Zane is just pushing forward and, and Jordan's you know, keeping him at arm's length and making him push harder and then you know redirecting and hitting slide-bys and uh, making him look dumb generally. So that, that edge of the mat footwork, you know, and, and making those small adjustments and changing directions with, with little room to go. Um, I think that could really be important for striking. Right. Um, and then, you know, on the other hand, people who are good at getting pushouts, um, that would be good for controlling the ring to get people to the cage. And if you're a wrestler wrestling on the cage is sometimes a lot easier, uh, getting your entries on the cage. And there are some fighters who don't like that, but I think overall it would be good. Good to see. So I think just the, the concepts of positioning, of, of ring craft, of pressure, I think you would see those being picked up more inherently if more if more high-level uh, freestyle guys came over. And Yoel Romero is such a weird case because uh, Yoel doesn't have especially good ring craft <laughs> or, uh, or you know, generalship, whatever you want to call it. But again, he was one guy, and he wasn't even particularly typical in his freestyle career. I watched his highlights. I watched a few of his matches. Um, very much not about controlling position more about uh just getting his uh his level changing game going more or less uh he, he's very heavy on the head a lot of snap downs snap go behind snap ankle pick uh snap duck stuff like that uh and I, you don't really need to move someone all over the mat to do that um so he's pretty good at not getting pushed out of bounds in freestyle but he didn't care about it as much in mma plus striking striking footwork and wrestling footwork are different so um, and I think you'll just see that the freestyle guys are going to prioritize striking uh, more often as, as their major development area. 
just because, I mean, we, the ground game isn't going to be inherently appealing to them, most likely. Uh, whereas folk style, it's like, oh, I kind of already get this. So yeah, you're going to go into it deeper. With freestyle, it's like, what is the thing that is the new, the shiny new toy? Um, you know, that's going to be most immediately beneficial to you. I just think the concepts are going to connect more between freestyle and striking than, than jujitsu. Um, with regard to jujitsu, I think there actually, there is a benefit there as well. Um, <clears throat> I thought about this for the first time after I interviewed Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor is a college wrestler, was a college wrestler. He is a three-time All-American from Maryland. And he's like second or third all time. He doesn't, I don't think he has the record, but one like top three all time for pins in his college career. And I asked him about it. I'm like, how, how'd you do it? <laughs> how'd you pin so many people? And he said the way he drilled, he didn't just drill. Okay. Here's a takedown. Okay. Now we're going to drill top work here. We're going to drill this turn. He always drilled things in succession. He always drilled the chain or the, the immediate turn or, or whatever comes next. So as soon as he takes you down, he is also drilling the immediate steps to take into the turn. That's a really, really important skill in freestyle. Um, you hear Americans talk about this. That's something that they don't realize they need to learn until later and that it really makes a difference in their game. Um, a freestyle match can end super quickly <clears throat> on, on the mat. Um, so in folk style, if I get like a, a, a tilt, for example, if I you know, lock up your wrist, uh, I got cross body and I, I turn you over and I expose your back, it's really not a pinning position, but if I hold you there for four counts, I get four points uh, and that's it. But if I hold you there any longer, I don't get any more. With freestyle, if I expose your back once, that's two points. If I roll you through and expose your back again, that's two more points. Whereas in folk style, you need to reset the position, let go of your grip, establish a new grip and do it again to get points again. So you can't just keep hitting the same move. You have to release and do it again. Uh, whereas in freestyle, if I get a lace and I start rolling, like gator death rolling you through, I could tech you right there. I could get one takedown, you know, five laces, done. Uh, and that's the match, which some people hate that. <laughs> they hate watching a match and like, oh my God, that's how it ends. It doesn't even look like anything. It's part of the game, though. You have to be able to defend parterre. Uh, you have to be ready for those quick transitions. So um, the ability to, to quickly transition into your next move, your attack on the ground, I think that could be hugely beneficial um, for, you know, let's say you take someone down into turtle or rear standing or whatever, and uh, you, you jump on their back and you go jive on an arm bar, or you jive on the choke. You know what I mean? I think I, can, I think it could translate to jujitsu with some, uh, some quick transitions to submissions. Um, and this is just, again, these are just concepts from freestyle that I think these guys will be highly familiar with and just, in their head, it'll click, <laughs> but I'm just guessing, you know what I mean? Because we don't, we don't have them. We don't have the, uh, the sample size to figure it out. Uh, what else? What else do I think be important? Uh, clean attacks, finishing attacks clean. I think this is already something that we see um, with Cejudo and Romero and uh, McMahon and who else? I don't know. <laughs> Not DC really. Uh, but clean, clean attacks. So the difference is and freestyle, if I shoot outside on a single and my head's inside and I, I have to, you know, I got your entire weight on top of me. I got to build back up and, and find a way to finish this. There is so much time in freestyle for you to go chest strap or head pinch or, you know, reach across and, and you know, lock through the crotch and, and expose me with a, with a lift. You know, there's, there's a lot more opportunity to get scored on on your own attack. 
um, even if I double you right over, you could reactively chest wrap me and you get the full points for that. I don't get any points unless I finish the takedown. Then I only get one point. Um, so you have to be clean. You have to be clean. Um, part of the problem is that if you're not clean, sometimes you just need to stalemate the position and just kind of hold out. Um, but even then you're giving your opponent more time to work on their turn. So it's not advised. Folk style, I think you see a lot more stalemating and you see a lot more drawn out exchanges to get takedowns. In folk style, it's not points. It's not a takedown until you establish control, right? So I can be in that same situation and I can like try to build up and I can like roll across my back and you can like be like half pinning me and then we can just keep transitioning through a million positions, no points, no points, no points until I finally get the takedown. There we go. That's well and good, but I think the freestyle meta applies more directly to jujitsu and MMA just because of the, the risk of danger during that whole sequence. In folk style, it's like, okay, we're just wrestling. So as long as I stay safe wrestling and you're not taking me down, you're not putting me on my back for long periods of time, uh, I can get these points and it, it was completely beneficial for me to go through those sequences. In freestyle, like I said, you can get exposed in that time period. In jujitsu, you can definitely leave an opening for a submission or they can pull guard into an opportunistic position or, you know, they can hit you, <laughs> things like that. Um, so long drawn out finishes are tough. Um, look at Johnny Hendricks versus Robbie Lawler. Johnny Hendricks didn't do the best job translating his striking to, you know, directly mesh with his grappling and his wrestling. But in college, you could, you, you know, the shots that he took on Robbie Lawler, like when he was getting hit in the body a million times and sprawled on, he would have had time to build up and finish those shots. If you watch a lot of high-level college wrestling, you would be surprised how many shots are taken with no setup and still finish um, because guys are just good at finishing shots. Um, there are people whose entire styles are just get to a leg and then I'll, I'll work it out from there. Uh, that doesn't fly as much in freestyle or jiu-jitsu or MMA. Uh, you can't give your opponent that much time to try to do damage or counter you or be opportunistic. Chill out, dude. Um, sorry, dog's a little brat. <laughs> She's okay though. Still love her. Um, but yeah, it's clean takedowns are important. So in freestyle, a lot of times people aren't hitting the knee. That happens. Uh, they're, they're drilling like outside step, higher level shots. Um, watch like David Baev or Sajulayev even. Uh, to get a good example of that, the Russian team really have, have perfected freestyle. Um, most of their offense comes from well, most of their clean offense when they want to get their setups comes from upper body positions. They're hitting slide buys, underhook throw buys, um, outside step shot entries, uh, and just high level finishes. And I mean high level as an upper body um, rather than, you know, they're good. Obviously, they're good. Uh, so, yeah, the Russians, I, I think we really embody everything I've talked about, the positioning, the clean attacks, um, you know, the quick transitions into into parterre. Like Sajulai, for example, chill sunning. <laughs> This dude lies all the time. I think he knows better. I think he just likes to say stuff. Um, but Chael Sonnen said that Sajalaya wouldn't translate well to MMA because uh, he's not that much of a takedown guy. And you know, all his points come on top. Most of his points come on top because he is has one of the best gut wrenches in the world. But he takes people down first. You have to take them down to get to the gut wrench position. And the way he takes people down is to get to the gut wrench position. So he is good enough at takedowns to take people down 
into you know a rear body block position and like immediately be able to go into it. He's that much better than everyone that his takedowns are the ones that let him finish you the quickest. You know what I mean? Uh, he's you know finishing in the seatbelt position, and then as you're collapsing to the mat, he's trapping an arm and he's going for his gut wrench. So yeah, he scores a lot of points on top. But it's like I said, it's those quick transitions. Uh, it's because he's that good. So the fact that he's still taking everyone down really neutralizes Shelson's point there. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that would translate well, but that's an example of he never puts himself underneath you. Very rarely does he put himself underneath you. Um, one of the only times I can think about of him putting himself underneath someone is uh, the Kyle Snyder rematch in 2018 where he, uh, he trapped the arm uh, and basically hit a peek out uh, and, and pinned Snyder with, uh, I call it back hooks, basically because they're reaching behind and trapping the arm when they sprawl on you. Uh, but yeah, he, he pinned Kyle Snyder like that. So uh, I think things like that would be, would be great. Um, but yeah, I think that's the freestyle metagame. And a lot of the times people don't really embody the metagame unless they're at a high level. So no matter how many guys who have dabbled in freestyle crossover it doesn't really mean that they're they're showing what the level is like and unfortunately i don't really i can't really predict if or when a lot of freestyle guys are going to do mma just because it's it's lucrative um you know the european scene those guys get like houses and cars and horses and all sorts of stuff uh for winning big tournaments it's they they get paid Americans are getting paid as well, which is awesome. Um, but I think they just know that they can get paid more in MMA and it's more readily available. Whereas, you know, in Russia, for example, the, the disparity is greater you know, between how much they're getting paid in wrestling and how much they could make in MMA. Um, and plus in America, if you're not like top, 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 you're probably not making anything. Uh, whereas in Russia, they're sending these guys to tournaments all over the place. And if you can't make Russia's team, you are free to transfer and represent another country um, and still train in Russia. And it's totally fine. And you still get all the spoils and all the riches because they recognize that if, uh, you know, Ishmael Musakayev can't make the team in 2016, he can bump up and wait. Oh, he can't beat Rishidov. That's okay. Go wrestle for Hungary. Hungary has all this money for their wrestling program and you can get really good with Hungary and, and get some time to shine and get some medals and develop further and still train with our team. And we're still all raising our level and it's making us all better. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's more medals for Russia, <laughs> even if it's not for the Russian Federation, like, Oh, that's, 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 a, that's guys from the Caucasus. Um, so they get that. Uh, and I think America needs that even more uh, really because, you know, our freestyle level needs development. Honestly, you know, we spend, most of our careers, not me, but the Americans spend most of their careers doing folk style, uh, dabbling in freestyle and Greco, and then they have to fully transition after college when they're already in their prime. They have to learn the new sport in earnest and get the metagame and get all these finer details that maybe they didn't really get when they weren't fully committed to it. So I think college should be freestyle, but I also think that that would destroy college wrestling and that it would die. So maybe not, <laughs> but that's my rant. That's my ramble for rambling for today. Um, hopefully I made some points there. I might've had more points, but I forgot them. Uh, but yeah, I think folk style, it's a great base for MMA. I think some of the drawbacks might be, you know, 
the ability to really hang out and, and try to work through shots. Um, I think something that is underrated in the folk style meta that I think we're going to see more and more of um, is the direct application of like funk rolling and leg passing to like the leg lock game in MMA. Um, it's become very, very, very common for people to pass legs. Basically, if someone takes you down, not so much sprawling, but just diving on a leg, trying to lock through, pull them over and keep scrambling that way. Um, and, and the positions are very similar to, to leg locking, honestly. And, and the goal is to you know, not get taken down, not get put on your, not get put on your back. Um, a really good example of someone basically purely funking and leg passing to avoid getting taken down and winning a match at a high level is a Jesse Delgado versus Nashawn Garrett. That one should be on YouTube. One of the most frustrating matches I've ever seen. Um, but Jesse Delgado is someone who I think trains MMA. I think he's in Pittsburgh. So maybe you'll see it. <laughs> maybe you'll see the application. Um, but yeah, these are just things to look out for. Um, I really, really don't think we're going to see many high-level resellers do MMA. Uh, someone pretty high-level, like U23 world champion, Rinya Nakamura, uh, transition pretty recently. Even then, he uh, he takes explosive outside attacks. I don't think that really exemplifies what I'm what I'm talking about here. So you'll probably never see the amount of freestylers at that level coming over to demonstrate the things that I want them to. But uh, I can dream, and hopefully this inspires you to watch a little freestyle. I mean, these matches are six minutes total at the most. And you can just, if the video looks long, you can just skip through the breaks. And uh, any of my articles on any of these high-level freestyle guys, I've written about pretty much every world champion from 2019, plus more. Um, in my articles, I have tons of, like, highlights of their matches. Um, so you can see a lot of this stuff in action. So, uh, yeah, I love talking about freestyle. I'm not an expert, um, but I know a lot. <laughs> Uh, definitely, if you, if you want to dive super deep in, uh, check out the fight site, check out the grappling section, and uh, there are international rankings and breakdowns and all sorts of stuff uh, on the freestyle scene, and you will get familiar with a lot of names very quickly. I recommend it. So, yeah, that's it for now. That's all I got. What else? Is there anything else to talk about? I don't think so. Uh, the next UFC card is Holloway Cater, I believe. And Cater uh, is not much of an offensive wrestler, and neither is Max, so I'm not really seeing that happening. I uh, Tim Elliott's on that card. I'm not going to dedicate a podcast segment to Tim Elliott, unfortunately. And uh, I did this in another podcast where I just looked through the events to see if there was anything, and every time it just leads me to uh, the Usman. Uh, Burns event, but I feel like they're not going to wrestle or grapple. I just am getting that inclination. Um, Kelvin Gaslam versus Ian Heinish. Maybe that one. Um, Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. If you uh, if you read my uh, Pedro Munoz wrestling for MMA article, it, I talk about their first fight and the wrestling that happened in that one. It was pretty nice. Both guys are really good wrestlers. Uh, Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. Maybe I'll talk about that sometime. But yeah, the event schedule is not looking so good. Um, in the wrestling world, there was a an individual World Cup, which is basically the unofficial world championships. Uh, Russia destroyed everyone, obviously. 
at 57 kilograms, uh, two-time returning world champion Zaur Ugoyev won very dominantly. He hits a lot of super ducks. So if you watch his matches, just understand that he's going to spend a long time not doing anything, but then he's going to hit a super duck, so it's worth it. Um, <laughs> 61, uh, Abbas Gazi uh, Magomedov, who was uh, Alon's runner-up last year. T1, he's very cool. Uh, 65, 65 kilograms really ticked me off, man. So, returning world champion, pound for pound number two, I believe, uh, Rashidov had to wrestle Haji Aliyev in his first match again, which is what happened in 2019 as well. Um, Haji Aliyev, Olympic uh, bronze, I believe, three-time world champion. And uh, Aliyev scored on him early and in the scramble uh rashidov went rubber knee which is like when you turn your knee in to try to turn away like when you have a wizard situation and uh he destroyed his knee and rashidov had to injury default out and it looked very serious and uh, we might not be seeing rashidov for a while so that sucks already and then aliyev loses to musakayev in his next match which is fine because musakayev is very good and capable of being very good and he has world bronze last year and he beat Odogoro, who's a world champion. So, okay, he's good. Um, but then <laughs> Rusikaev in the finals loses to Zivanian from Armenia, who's not very good at all. And he just gassed himself out doing nothing the entire match. And he lost. So 65 kilograms just got way worse <laughs> as a weight because Aliyev got hurt in his bronze match. So now Aliyev's out. Rashidov's out. Rusikaev isn't that good. Tevanian's not that good. Um, it's good for America because 65 kilograms is typically the, t- the toughest weight for us. Um, we have a bunch of good guys, but it's also the hardest weight internationally. So whoever we send is going to have a better chance at qualifying the weight for the Olympics now. We still haven't qualified the weight for the Olympics because Zane Rutherford got pinned at the Pan American qualifiers by uh, Augustin Destribats, who was at this competition, and he medaled. He took bronze at 61 kilograms. So not only did Zane get pinned by an Argentinian, which is embarrassing uh, for Americans, he also got pinned by a guy that can wrestle at 61 kilograms. So it's uh, overall bad luck, but at least he's good, right? Um, he's not some some bum. He's not a scrub. Uh, and then 70 kilograms, uh, boring, boring, boring. Uh, Russian guy, Chairman Valiev, is supposed to win the weight, and he defaulted in the semis. It's like, why even, why even bother? Um 74 kilograms, that was the big one. Frank Chimizo, two-time world champion, uh, Olympic bronze, multiple-time world medalist. Other than that, he made it to the finals with a bunch of very impressive performances. And Russia's new number one at 74, uh, Rosenbeck Shamalov, also made the finals. And Shamalov beat uh, Ketik Sabalov at Russian Nationals. And Sabalov's been a world champion, multiple-time world medalist. He lost to Burroughs in the 2017 finals, if you remember that. And uh, Sabala beat Sidakov, the two-time reigning world champion, uh, before that. So Sabala beats Sidakov, and then Jamala beats Sabalov, and then Jamala beats Shimizo. So Shamala is probably number one in the world now, which is crazy. So Russia is really, really good at 74 kilograms, as they are at pretty much every weight. Um, but yeah, that was, that was wild. And I think I'm writing about that match, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'll, I'll see. <laughs> It might even be out by the time I, I publish this. Who knows? Probably not. Uh, 79 kilograms, terrible weight. Not going to talk about it. 86 kilograms, uh, Darren Karugliev won. 
He is Russia's rep now. He beat out Naifanov, who he's lost to before. And then uh, he beat Baranowski from Poland in the finals. And Baranowski does have a win over him from last year. So that's kind of a little bit of revenge. But overall, you know, weak, weak weight because uh, Baranowski also lost to Pat Downey last year, which is just a terrible look. Um, yeah, bad weight. But good for Kuruglev. Uh, obviously, Yazdani, Chirati, and David Taylor weren't there. Um, so what are you going to do? And then 92 is awful. 97, Sajulayev burned his way to the finals, and his opponent defaulted out in the finals. Heavyweight, uh, new new Russian heavyweight, uh, Shamil Sharyapov. He looked cool. He looked kind of like Mahov, where he's like big and lanky, uh, but kind of lean. And he had like a good game, you know, good uh, good setups. He had like a, a typical Russian game. He didn't look like a heavyweight, so he could be interesting to watch. And then, yeah, there's just tons of uh, pro events for freestyle in America going on right now, so that's pretty sweet. And uh, I think today, as I'm recording this, the Nittany Lion event is going to happen. And something of interest for MMA fans is that uh, Aljamain Sterling challenged, uh, I believe, two or three-time All-American now, Roman Bravo Young, to a freestyle match. And uh, he's going to get teched for sure. But he also released some training clips of him training wrestling. And the first clip is him like flow drilling. So he says, but he looked terrible. And he got roasted by the entire wrestling community for that. Because everyone's looking at him now because he said, oh, I'm going to wrestle RBY. And then he posts a wrestling clip and it's subpar. So, yeah, you're going to get roasted. Um, and then uh, more recently, he posted another clip of him uh, working with Alex Perez at a faster pace. And he looked decent, but just not. Not good enough, man. Not good enough, man. So, Sterling's can get tech, but then they're going to grapple afterward, and I assume Sterling will submit him pretty easily. Uh, yeah, that's it. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about next week. We'll figure it out. Goodbye. See you later.